Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Top 10 Ways COVID-19 Impacts Terrorism. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Well, I have some interesting stuff to talk to you about today. Uh, this, this, I've um, been doing some research and there are amazing uh, ways that COVID-19 impacts terrorism. I mean, I've talked about this in earlier podcasts to some degree, but this goes deeper and, um, and also compares it to, there's some unearthed, some really interesting facts. So, and, and I guess the, the, you know, the bottom line to this is um, we are not thinking so much in America, <laughs> most people are not really thinking or worrying about terrorism. But um, uh, certainly in Europe, there have been an increase in terror attacks during the pandemic, and we might soon be seeing exactly what they have been going through. And because uh, in some of the ways that I'm going to be talking about today, the terrorists have taken advantage of the pandemic to um, be better able to attack in Europe. So we kind of need to know these things, even though, you know, um, we, need to, we need to not forget about terrorists because terrorists aren't forgetting about us. So the last time that the world had a pandemic as global as this one was in 1918 and 1919, as you know, uh, an influenza pandemic which is often referred to as the Spanish flu. Now, of course, that is several decades before our modern age of terrorism, but there are some very interesting parallels, things that happened then um, that are happening now. So for example, um, there was a rise in anarchy during the Spanish flu, and it culminated in the Wall Street bombing of September 16th, 1920. Very interesting, um, because of course we are seeing a lot of anarchy now. Um, there are interesting ways of you know, looking at the pandemic, of course, in regard to terrorism, of course, terrorists are affected by it too just in somewhat, somewhat similar and somewhat different ways than we are. Um, a lot of terrorist organizations are going to be susceptible to infections, just like we are. They are human, <laughs> even though they don't necessarily act human. 
all the time, like when they're plotting attacks and attacking. But um, they are also disrupted by some measures, um, social distancing measures and interruptions and support supply chains and transportation and things like that. Of course, the terrorists who are in more remote locations, you know, the hills of Pakistan, for example, are not going to be as affected. They're not living as closely, close together necessarily as some of us. Um, some of them are living close together, all huddled in one cave. Um, but uh, in a, so the risk of infection by COVID wouldn't deter a terrorist attack in the final phases. So for example, a suicide bomber would not be concerned <laughs> that he would get sick on the way to blow themselves up. Um, but there are other ways that they are affected. Um, some terrorists are not uh, wanting to expose themselves unnecessarily to COVID, either because, just like us, either because, you know, we don't want to be contaminated, we don't want to die, um, unless you're a suicide bomber, of course. Um, and then also because uh, the more terrorists who get sick and are un- or non-operational, that makes their attacks on us um, and, the, and the recruiting and propaganda and so on, the fewer of them that they are, the less effective they will be. So they too don't particularly want to get infected by coronavirus. So let us look at these 10 ways um, that, more specifically, let's look at the 10 ways that COVID-19 affects terrorists. The first one is, and um, you may not have heard about this, um, the first one is terrorists engaging in pro-social activities. What? <laughs> pro-social activities? A terrorist? Well, yes, but it's with a cynical motive. It is to try to seem more legitimate uh, by engaging in social welfare, in other words, doing things to help people. Um, also, it is to get positive attention to these organizations and highlight the inadequacies of the local government. So in other words, um, if terrorists are doing something to help people during COVID-19, whereas people are thinking that their government is not doing squat or not doing enough, uh, it makes the terrorists look good. And here are some examples. In Afghanistan, the Taliban has promised safe passage to healthcare workers crossing their territory and they have engaged in their own public health information campaign to counter the virus, and they have provided some healthcare services. Now, even more active in these pro-social efforts has been Hezbollah in Lebanon. And they have, at least it has been reported that they have, uh, deployed 1,500 doctors, 3,000 nurses, and paramedics and then uh, 100 emergency vehicles, and they've been disinfecting public spaces, and so on. Now, they, of course, um, have been better funded than some of the other terrorist groups, um, so that is why they have been able, reportedly, to do all these things. And, of course, the propaganda value of this is tremendous. Number two, increased susceptibility to radicalization. This is a big one, um, particularly because of psychological issues. 
I don't have to tell you, wherever you, whatever country or city you are listening to this from, I do not have to tell you how much the pandemic has affected us psychologically. The disruption to our daily lives, perhaps you've lost your job, perhaps you've lost a loved one, um, perhaps, you know, most people are afraid of catching COVID or afraid of the future. What is the future going to bring? And so there are all kinds of psychological symptoms from anxiety to paranoia to depression to PTSD and on and on. Also domestic abuse, substance abuse. Um, and so, and these things will worsen the longer the pandemic is going to go on. And so this makes people, this, this uh, hopelessness and helplessness makes people more vulnerable to the idea of adopting uh, radicalizing narratives because for a number of reasons, but one of them is because uh, the terrorists scapegoat the others. In other words, um, you know, we all want to blame the coronavirus on somebody else. I mean, yes, it came from China. We know that. <laughs> um, but we also want to blame other people perhaps uh, for, not, for, what, for not doing whatever, not doing something, not, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. You can't, I mean, the only people to blame really at this point are the Chinese who hid the virus and may have even, of course, uh, concocted it. But in any case, the idea of scapegoating others is very, um, prom, you know, very attractive. And then also terrorists promise simple solutions and mostly violent solutions. And then um, they ha there has been research that has shown that radicalization is facilitated, increased by actual or perceived personal losses, also by frustrations, and also by reminders of death. Well, needless to say, the pandemic has all three. And of course, the biggest one, or one of the biggest ones, is that people are spending their lockdown more, and so they're spending more time online. And so there are more opportunities for terrorists to engage with people to recruit them. An example, of course, is ISIS, who has um, bolstered their recruitment efforts. And one way that they've done this is to use hashtags related to COVID-19 to redirect people on the internet to jihadist propaganda. Um, also, there is the ability of terrorists to prey on our uncertainties and anxieties and disruptions. And um, one way that they're doing that is to claim um, certain, well, to, to define, to come up with explanations for COVID um, that might be appealing, like, you know, spreading propaganda, basically, or spreading conspiracy theories, like, for example, claiming that COVID-19 is a plot by Islam's enemies, or um, also ISIS and Al-Qaeda are saying that COVID-19 is Allah's wrath against the corrupt and the non-believers, and it can only be stopped by increased adherence to true Islam. Then also some terrorists have been um, particularly spreading propaganda in the English language to target the Western world and to encourage conversions to Islam during isolation and stay at home. I mean, what better time <laughs> to convert than if you have nothing else to do while you are forced 
to be locked down. So these, all these things um, make a very uh, poisonous combination. And uh, the, the increase in activity online on extremist platforms has been the result. And there has especially been an effort to recruit young people. Also, um, because of the, of the lockdown and isolation and so on, there's less of a chance that behaviors associated with radicalization will be noticed by other people. You don't, they don't get to see you. You're in your home uh, or your cave. <laughs> And so um, people, you know, who might be able to intervene and notice that somebody is getting radicalized won't see you or won't see the terrorists, won't see the new recruits. And one way that they have been able to um, monitor this or, or know that this is happening is that the United Kingdom has a prevent program, uh, which tries to... Um, tries to pick out, um, uh, get people who are getting radicalized. In other words, there are referrals sent to the PREVENT program. People who think that they know somebody who seems to be getting radicalized gets referred to the PREVENT program. And that, the number of people who have been referred has dramatically decreased. Well, let's stop for now. When we come back, I will get on to number three, uh, the reason, the third reason for why um, or ways COVID-19 is impacting terrorism. And as you can tell, <laughs> it is not really to decrease terrorism. I'll give you a, um, you know, spoiler alert. None of these are to decrease terrorism. So stay tuned um, and I'll be right back. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about the top 10 ways COVID-19 impacts terrorism. So we're up to number three, a rise in anti-government attitudes. Now, there are three parts to this. Um, first, the, uh, the more that a government in a country uh, reacts to COVID, in a haphazard and incompetent way, then that undermines public confidence in the government. So, uh, for example, uh, going back to the pandemic of 1918, they found that there was a link between areas most affected by the pandemic and increased support for the Nazis in Germany in subsequent elections in the 1930s. The second part of this um, uh, reason or why way that uh, uh, terrorism is impacted is that um, the, the terrorists have particularly pounced on governments who have um, been, you know, um, making the public feel more frustrated by their uh, draconian rules. And um, certainly uh, in the United States, we are certainly feeling this. Of course, it's worse depending upon 
where you live, but it's, you know, and it varies. I can't even keep track in California. They keep changing. And I'm telling you, the governor changes it, changes the rules more often than he changes his underwear. And he's a total hypocrite, as I'll tell you in a minute. Um, so the, you know, the terrorists are um, using this, the fact that uh, people are getting more frustrated with all of these mandates to, um, to you know, promote their, their conspiracy theories. So, for example, in North America and Europe, we have some comp conspiracy theories that say that China, well, we know China is. <laughs> We know China is responsible. That's not actually a conspiracy theory. But they're saying um, China, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, or others are responsible. And in Europe, uh, in the United Kingdom, they had a conspiracy theory that 5G transmission towers were responsible for spreading COVID-19. Um, another example, well, these conspiracy theories, I mean, some people just kind of laugh at them and don't believe them. But of course, other people do believe them, especially when they're vulnerable because they don't really understand, you know, our world is being turned topsy-turvy. So it's a time when people are trying to look for explanations. And so that's when conspiracy theories are much more able to take root. Um, so and this conspiracy mongering, uh, even if it doesn't result in new recruits by itself, it still um, can mobilize other extremists. You know, for example, a good example of this is what happened in April of 2020. There was a train engineer, Eduardo Moreno, and he purposely derailed a train because he was hoping and to crash it into the U.S. Navy hospital ship Mercy, which was docked at the Port of Los Angeles. And he claimed that he wanted to draw, he did this on purpose, it wasn't an accident. He did this because he wanted to draw attention to a COVID-related conspiracy that he was trying to um, get people to, to believe. And that was, he believed that the ship, the Mercy, was actually not there to help people, but it was to take people, COVID victims, COVID-19 victims, the people who were sick, to Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, not to, to cure them, but to take them to Cuba. The third part of this uh, rise in anti-government attitude um, reason is that the, um, the more the state expands into our everyday life, the more we get frustrated and angry. And listen to this. In 1918, during that flu pandemic, there was an anti-mask league. How do you like that? <laughs> See, we're, we're, not, we're not the first to come up with this. Um, I don't know that we have a league, but certainly we have lots of anti-mask people. And it was formed in the United States. It organized large public protests and even led some opponents of enforced mask wearing to attempt the bombing of a public official. Now, you know, there are similar kinds of things uh, happening. And, and um, just to be clear on my view of all of this, I'm not necessarily in the anti-mask league, <laughs> but I am very much against all of these mandates um, because it is, it's getting us to be like 1984, George Orwell's 1984. It's taking away our liberties. And I think that 
people just should have the choice if they want to wear a mask, if they want to stay six feet apart, if they want to take a vaccine. That's going to be a whole other thing. I'm sure I'm going to be doing lots on that down the line. But if they want to, I'm, I'm very much, I'm telling people not to um, cancel Thanksgiving because, uh, because, you know, there is no reason to have to cancel Thanksgiving. You can, you can do Thanksgiving in a very safe way and canceling it is one more loss that we feel and makes us more depressed. You know, add that to the list of losses that we've already had. So um, there, <laughs> there's a, an article that just came out about um, hypocritical leaders who refuse to obey the COVID-19 rules. I love this. I actually tweeted about this. Um, it lists, I mean, I've known about uh, a lot of these, but it kind of puts them together in one article. So it's sort of overwhelming. These people who are making the mandates, making the rules, telling us to stay home, wear masks and so on, and they flaunt the rules. So the latest example is California Governor Gavin Newsom. He can't be uh, out of office soon enough for me. He, while although he's t you know making these really strict mandates, he was seen and thank goodness photographed and photographs surfaced. Uh, he was seen recently at a large birthday dinner at a restaurant called the French Laundry in Napa Valley, California, and he and his wife were at a large table full of maskless lobbyists, and also, which included doctors from d different medical organizations. And they were sitting, they were not sitting six feet apart. Um, and I mean, it's just, so that really has uh, really been an embarrassment for him, but he still has gone on to make rules for us peons. Then we have New York Governor Cuomo, um, who's even worse, uh, rarely seen in a mask, but his Twitter feed keeps telling everybody to mask up. He actually is responsible for more deaths than any other state. And the New York Times says that it was because of this that the coronavirus has been seeding throughout the U.S. Uh, then we have uh, Governor Cuomo's brother, CNN host Chris Cuomo, who, um, you know, he has, his wife has been uh, showing pictures of, um, what she's doing, maskless, a personal trip with a personal trainer, all kinds of things, not paying attention to the rules that they are making for us. Nancy Pelosi, you may know, was uh, seen getting a haircut at a salon in California when salons were supposed to be closed. Senator Dianne Feinstein has been walking maskless. She was caught walking through an airport and also in the hallway of the Capitol. Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser um, went to Delaware for a Biden victory party and didn't follow quarantine protocols when she returned to D.C. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, announced a new lockdown, told everybody to cancel Thanksgiving. And meanwhile, she had been seen whooping it up in the streets, you know, um, maskless, uh, shouting through a bullhorn and so on. This was a Biden victory party. By the way, Biden, as of the time that I'm uh, doing this podcast, Biden has not officially win, won, just in case you, just in case it's not clear. It has, the election has not, been, um, has not been called officially. Then we have Senator Chuck Schumer, who also partied for Biden, maskless. So again, these hypocrites, and when people see 
hypocrites like that telling us what to do, you know, really restrictions we don't want to follow, and they flout them, then um, then that is how terrorists get in. We're, that makes us frustrated and angry, and uh, you know, st stop believing in in these in in our beliefs, and that makes it, it opens the door for terrorists. Then it's an in, number four inspiration for <laughs> inspiration for apocalyptic extremists. Um, some terrorists are actually inspired by the spread of the virus and the spread of death and disruption. Um, there are two kinds. There are those who believe that, um, in terms of these apocalyptic, if I could say it, apocalyptic people, um, there are those who believe they have to just passively prepare for the end and they don't have to do anything else. And then there are more dangerous extremists or terrorists who believe that when the time is right, they have to act to facilitate or even initiate their version of Armageddon in order to secure salvation. So these would be the types who would be actually um, actively doing things such as making attacks because they see this pandemic as a, an omen of things to come, that this is, uh, that the end of times is coming. And so it acts as a catalyst for uh, these dangerous terrorists to initiate plans now uh, to attack because, you know, it might be too late. <laughs> if they don't do it now, the end of the world may come and they will have not yet um, attacked in the way that they wanted. Um, n number five is terrorists working from home. <laughs> Doesn't that conjure up a really interesting image? You see a terrorist sitting at the computer. <laughs> um, terrorists, I don't know that there's anybody telling, well, I guess it depends where they're living and how, how remote they are. But um, some terrorists, you know, if they're in places where lockdowns are heavily enforced, they may have to operate from home. Um, and they... They use this time productively, however. They're not watching Netflix. <laughs> they're not, <laughs> they're not binge-watching the latest Netflix series. They are either uh, producing and disseminating propaganda and in increasing their recruitment, or they're using the time and or they're using the time to plan and coordinate future attacks. Well, um, some of these, some of their time is used on um, looking for doing what's called electronic ISR, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, in which they can evaluate potential targets using Google Earth. They can comb message boards to identify gaps in a target's defenses to establish dark web channels to get illicit materials to use for weapons. They can also use the time to, they not just can, they are also using the time uh, to improve their technical skills, such as by taking chemistry or electronics courses so that they can become better bomb makers. And um, cybercrime. They are uh, either doing cyber attacks, use, you know, with ransomware, for example, against hospitals, um, because that can uh, why hospitals you know I I actually had been wondering about that why are they doing it against hospitals but the more they attack hospitals the more the pandemic goes on because um, fewer people will be cured uh, 
which means that the pandemic worsens, which means all these things that I'm ways that uh, that COVID-19 helps terrorists can be increased. And also cybercrime through um, different schemes to make money. I've, I've done a previous podcast on how um, uh, terrorists have infiltrated singles apps and they get people to, um, you know, to, to believe that they're in a relationship with them and then they extort money from them. I mean, they tell them that they extort in a, by persuading them that they love them and therefore they need money and the person should give it to them. And it really works to bring a lot of money to terrorists and terrorist organizations. You should go back and look for that podcast. Uh, it's really interesting. It's really, it's really happening. Okay, well, we need to take another break. When we come back, um, I will be at number six and we will continue the top 10 ways COVID-19 is impacting terrorists. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where I'm talking today about the top 10 ways COVID-19 impacts terrorism. And as I told you before, spoiler alert, none of these, as you can see, (laughs) uh, decrease terrorism. They are all ways in which um, it enhances terrorist abilities to attack us and to recruit and so on. So number six is establishing bioterrorism as a viable tactic. Now, the more terrorists see that even highly developed countries like the U.S. um, are not able to stop the spread of the virus very quickly. I mean, this is going on. And in fact, more people are getting sick. Um, And so it shows, it has shown uh, the weaknesses to the terrorists. It's shown to the terrorists that there are weaknesses in public health systems in various countries, even the ones who are most highly developed. And so now if you think about how the strategy of terrorism is to inflict terror and to, so that they can then um, either kill people or turn us into um, belief in their, into believers, (laughs) um, they see that what, what is happening to our society Uh, societies all over the world, because of the pandemic, there's disruption, there's economic damage, there are deaths. I mean, it's a perfect, terrorists couldn't have written this better themselves as a script for terrorism. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to sort of not believe that this isn't a terrorist script, because it has affected so much relatively quickly. It's only been months Okay, number seven, um, specifically weaponizing COVID-19. Now, there have been past cases of terrorists um, trying using biological agents to um, harm people, but in the past it's been primarily non-contagious agents like anthrax or biological toxins. Um, but there has only been 
about a dozen cases involving contagious pathogens like COVID. So for example, there was a group called RISE, R-I-S-E. Uh, they wanted to use salmonella in 1972 as part of a plot to destroy the world and repopulate it. Then we have the Japanese doomsday cult, um, which attempted to collect Ebola virus samples and so that they, in 1992, so that they could destroy people. Then um, ISIS has uh, expressed interest in using and trying to get bubonic plague and pneumonia, pneumonia plague. And um, so then there, there are three different ways that you can use a, uh, that you can use a, a dangerous pathogen to um, affect, infect others. And so, for example, there's one way, and we've seen um, stories about this, a, a low-level threat. This is where it's sort of an individual who has some psychological issues, um, and they don't, they sort of uh, impulsively decide to um, act out in a store or in a bus or, you know, somewhere where there are people, and they have an emotional outburst, and they do something a little crazy, like intentionally um, claiming that they have coronavirus and suddenly coughing or um, spitting on other people, licking products in stores. Now, this is these are not generally real, you know, ISIS or Al Qaeda type terrorists. But when they since when they have done this in an um, on purpose, the United States, and I talked about this in a previous podcast, some of these have been prosecuted because um, they were considered terroristic acts because they were, you know, trying to kill people. Um, another second scenario using uh, pathogens would be a planned attack, not just these individual, you know, random kinds of spontaneous attacks, but a planned attack on a particular target. Somebody um, one or more people become infected and then they purposely spread the virus, such as putting saliva on door handles. Then a third type of using these dangerous pathogens is um, just in intentionally, uh, terrorists intentionally spreading the virus indiscriminately. In other words, just, you know, not necessarily even with a particular plan to target any particular group of people, but just as many people as they can spread their virus to. And the idea of that would be to initiate a second wave and a third wave and a fourth wave. And it's really hard to tell which wave we're up to at this point. Number eight, conventional attacks during the pandemic. Now, um, some terrorists will think that this is not the best time to launch a major attack because the world is, they want attention. They want publicity for their attacks. And so right now it's hard to get on the front page of the paper because on the front page is uh, stuff about the election still and stuff about um, the pandemic, of course. And so it's hard to get uh, as much publicity as they would like. Another reason why it's harder to uh, launch a conventional attack is because the places where terrorists usually did that, you know, um, airports, subways, uh, concert venues, and so on, 
um, these are places where there are lots of people congregated so that the attack would have um, a high kill value. But now these places are deserted. And the only exception, however, dun dun dun, uh, is the any kind of medical facility. That's where the most people are these days, you know, hospitals where, uh, of course, there are people being treated for coronavirus, um, even clinics that are treating people with coronavirus. So that is making uh, hospitals, just like with the ransomware, that is making hospitals a prime target. Um, then also, however, you know, these are things in regard to mass casualty operations. These, these things might discourage mass casualty operations, but it does not discourage lone wolves necessarily. Then we have number nine, less secure facilities. There are, there are, um, there's a lack or the personnel who are guarding facilities like government buildings and so on. Um, they may remain, I mean, when it's a high value target, um, they want to remain there. There are um, accommodations made, made so that there are people there. But in less secure places, um, you know, there are, and perhaps as the quarantine goes on, I mean, as the coronavirus the pandemic goes on, um, there are people, the personnel who would be the security guards um, or police or, you know, people like that, um, they're falling ill. There are fewer of them. They're being quarantined. They're distracted. Um, and, and, you know, they, they, so there's less, the places are less secure. Bottom line, places are less secure. And there are three ways that this happens. Um, first of all, um, you know, there, uh, there are places, well, you know, the terrorists like to uh, attack symbolic targets. So certain places that would, um, be that are usually visited, like let's say the Statue of Liberty or something like that. Um, they there are fewer there. There's nobody. I'm pretty sure it's closed, and um, and uh, and there are fewer people, of course, um, per, fewer personnel there, few, lower level of security, and so there's an increased opportunity to attack these uh, high-profile targets. Also, there are places that have less security where um, there wouldn't be a place where you could kill a lot of people, but it's a place where you could get materials because of the lower degree of security. So for example, you could take um, things from weapons storage areas, chemical plants, and so on. Even um, a store clerk, listen to this, a store clerk, who might pay attention to somebody buying large quantities of peroxide, for example, are now rather distracted by their own life <laughs> and by not wanting to get exposed to the people who are coming into the store and so on, and they wouldn't be as vigilant. And then the third uh, way that less secure facilities uh, helps terrorists is um, prisons. Um, there are, because there are fewer guards um, there and terrorists have, want to 
encourage their followers to free Muslim prisoners uh, at this time, you know, at this opportune time. Then, um, then um, there's also counterterrorism personnel, Count, you know, counterterrorism distractions is number 10. And um, same thing, counterterrorism personnel, you know, they are having physical and psychological uh, effects from the pandemic. Uh, they may be falling ill, they may be distracted, uh, and, and so on. They may be um, uh, locked down, having to work from home. Um, and so there are ways that, you know, they are not able to be as on top of counterterrorism as they used to be. And um, that is a major problem. Um, ISIS, of course, has already been uh, publishing, uh, you know, encouraging propaganda, telling people to attack these kinds of um, places. Now, um, the, the bottom line, and also, of course, economic damage, there isn't as much money that is going to be able to be used for counterterrorism. So the longer term, uh, these things that I was just talking about will have more of an impact, will have more of a, uh, a, pot, well, a way to facilitate terrorism, more, will help terrorists more the longer the pandemic goes on. So the years following the end of the pandemic, whenever that may be, um, they risk showing the impact more uh, than right now. You know, uh, the economic issues, we're not going to have as much to spend, as I was saying, on counterterrorism. Um, the, count, the terrorists will have been able to radicalize and recruit and train um, people to become terrorists. The, uh, there will be more people who are disillusioned and unemployed and um, more vulnerable to recruitment. All of these things that I was just talking about, maybe they've gotten some weapons, they've spent their time terrorists at home, um, you know, learning uh, how to make better bombs and so on. So that is when the terrorists will come home to roost. So what, is we, what, do, what do we do with this information? Well, we stop, we don't take our eye off the ball um, and realize not that we need something else to be worried about during the pandemic, but it's better, at least if we are aware of these things now, it is not going to come as a shock. We are not going to be as personally as unprepared um, as we would be if we just deluded ourselves, continued to delude ourselves and deny that terrorists are still a force to be reckoned with. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. 
terrorism4kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.